Our primary role and is that we are the we are USA's primary point of contact with the Department of Defense. Hi, welcome to the One CA podcast. My name is John McElligot, your host for today's episode. We're joined with Diana Parzik. She's Staffer now at USAID and a major in the Army Reserve Civil Affairs, uh, former company commander down in Virginia Beach, Virginia, now at the 353KCOM, and uh, recently promoted at USAID. So, Diana, welcome to the 1CA podcast. Hi, thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. So, uh, we've known each other for several years now, and you used to be the, uh, you used to work in global health engagement, and then uh, more recently as the Civ Mill or Civil Military Coordinator for AFRICOM at USAID. What are you doing now? <laughs> um, it's interesting um, that you mentioned this. Um, as of this past week, I took on a new role as the acting division chief for policy plans division within the Office of Civil Military Cooperation. Um, you mentioned I was the AFRICOM Civil Military Coordinator. I've been with USAID for two years now, engaged in, and I'm also actually in a dual role capacity too. So not only am I, not only am I, am I in that supervisory role, that is looking at not just AFRICOM, <laughs> but also Indo-PACOM, um, SOCOM falls under my portfolio as a SOUTHCOM, all the, all the different combatant commands and our civil-military relationship with all those different combatant commands across the interagency. So could you talk about um, the Office of Civil-Military Cooperation? Uh, you had a bunch of experience there. What's that office all about? What's its mission? Our primary role and is that we are the we are USA's primary point of contact with the Department of Defense. And the way that what our objective there is, you know, is that we are aimed to align our development and defense objectives um, and to leverage unique capabilities, of, you know, and our skill sets on both sides of USAID and DOD. So, you know, what that means, um, and you know, I'll, I'll look at Africom from in my experience right now, we have a senior development advisor at AFRICOM and we have our deputy development advisor at AFRICOM. We actually have a USA person who also sits in the, the J5. And with AFRICOM's, you know, approach and um, looking at the continent is in support of development and diplomacy objectives. And our colleagues that currently reside within the combatant commands um, really aim to put uh, USAID on, on the table there in, in conversations. In a reciprocal relationship within USAID, we also have a number of military LNOs that reside within our office. So from all the different combatant commands, we have a military LNO. I sit right next to my colleague who, who coordinates on AFRICOM and is a green suitor. Okay. So. Could you talk a little bit about those LNOs? Um, what branches of the military do they come from? Does it, does it matter in your opinion? Or uh, sort of to the value of... Uh, of the office, what backgrounds they bring? Um, we've had a, quite a variety, and so I think that the diversity in our office of um, not only services but of skill sets has really helped to enrich our conversation um, within USAID and, and teach USAID about uh, what the what kind of you know skill sets the military has. Um, so you know we've had Navy personnel, we've had Army personnel, we've 
front, we have Air Force personnel. We have um, folks that are, uh, many of them actually are civil affairs, um, both active and reserve component civil affairs have provided LNOs to help support this mission. And, you know, we have skill sets outside of that, um, foreign area officers and, and what have you. And I'm not even, I'm not even, you know, touching on the number of other military fellowship programs that are offered throughout the agency, too, that help to really inform USAID about what the military, you know, uh, their skill sets, their background, and, yeah. and how to, you know, coordinate with militaries. So. When I came into the Army, it was a steep learning curve for the lingo and all of the acronyms and the alphabet soup of what I had to try. And I'm still learning it, right? It never stops. And I would imagine it's a different world, a different language for someone from the military to come over to USAID. Absolutely. So I mentioned already previously, I've been with USAID now for two years. Right. And, you know, I can't, <laughs> I can't tell you. There's, you know, I, every day that I'm learning something new. And, you know, sometimes it's not just a definition a new acronym for uh, USA, but, you know, DOD has a different acronym, and sometimes they have a different acronyms that have two or three different meanings within the DOD itself. And, and, you know, and so you're constantly having that conversation and trying to translate between the two languages, and I, I find myself in the middle oftentimes of having to trans, you know, I, I now that I've been here for a little while, I feel like I almost speak two different languages within the two different agencies, and I right. often offer as like a translator. <laughs> so um, there's another thing uh, I think that uh, I was planning on uh, discussing a little bit later, but there's some different courses and stuff that we offer in USAID. And one of the courses uh, is often taught with a foreign service officer who's had that technical experience in the field. And I turned around and when I go out to teach civil affairs communities and I turn around and I was like, so this is what this means right. for you. <laughs> and to really make sure that the conversation um, that if it's a desk officer, a foreign service officer, has a, a meaningful impression in the, the military community, and they, there's a there's a connection there, and there's something that really resonates, um, and how you know that can make the military be more effective or um, enlighten them in, in another way that will provide them a more informed decision, you know, about USAID and what USAID brings um, uh, when they're working together in the field. That's good to hear. It's I don't know how long it's been going on, but I think it's a it's a no brainer now. People would probably wonder like how could we get along without talking to each other and sitting in the next office or next cubicle and working together the way that AID and DOD have been doing for years. Diana, I would think that your previous work in we mentioned global health engagement and then your role civil affairs officer would really help to enhance what you do now at USAID. How would you say that previous work set you up for success? Um, yeah, so I, prior to coming to USAID, I worked um, with the Assistant Secretary of Defense for Health Affairs in the Office of International Health, and then I went on to work, um, the, uh, that was another office under in transformation um, under the Defense Health Agency and then Global Health Engagement uh, very briefly before I took the job with USAID. And I think that my prior work there really helped me understand uh, the way that duty policy is drafted. 
it helped me to understand, you know, the impacts of policy and, you know, when you're going through a uh, capabilities-based assessment, what that means. Um, we, at the time, we were uh, involved in looking at the global health engagement as a, as a new, as a piece that, you know, initially it came from DODI uh, 3000.05, and then the health community came in and drafted their own uh, DOD uh, policy on support to stabilization for the military health system, um, which then kind of morphed into global health engagement. And what does that look like? And what are the skill sets that are needed across the Army, Air Force, Navy to achieve this new mission set, this new capability within the medical community. I mean, we, we know we've been doing it for a very long time in the DOD, but, you know, what kind of, you know, what kind of skill sets, you know, and, and we got quite invested for a while in the .milpf process. So the doctor and the organization training, material leadership, education, personnel, facilities, and, and looking at do we have the, the right skill set to achieve this engagement at, you know, at the combatant command level. And I think that, like I said, it just, it helped me to understand the policy level, but then I come here and I'm working with USAID and there's areas in which we intersect um, that are policy-based, like 3000.05, again, stabilization. Um, and there's other, and there's other ones too on humanitarian assistance or foreign, foreign human, foreign human, foreign humanitarian assistance that, you know, it really has helped me to be able to, once again, um, translate what DOD policy, how DOD policy works and how, you know, that, that takes effect into developing, you know, a, a capability or, you know, how that, how that um, translates down the road at, at the more tactical level okay. um, for, for someone who's in the military. Do you find that your colleagues, if there's a question that's uh, global health or health exchange related, they turn to you as the internal subject matter expert? Uh, not anymore. Um, and the reason why we actually have a person within the Office of Civil Military that continues to uh, have that interchange with global health. Um, and uh, I mentioned one of our, LN you know, we have a number of LNOs. One of our LNOs is is a military, uh, is a Navy LNO and, and that's her background is in health. Oh. And so, so we have, we definitely have that piece of it covered down. And I think that USAID realizes, um, that there is some overlap there with, with the DOD and global health and, you know, global health engagement. I can't speak to the most recent, uh, ways in which they've been, been engaged, but I know that that's a continued conversation that we have with the DOD. That's great. So what has surprised you about the work of USAID? You know, one of the things that I think that surprised me most um, about the agency was about how many technical skills that we have. Um, it's really like, you know, we are a mile, an inch wide and a mile deep. I mean, and the number of people that we have in this organization that have PhDs and multiple, you know, master's degrees. And, you know, you can really talk to some people that have some very interesting um, subject matter expertise in agriculture or, or health or what have you. And it's always impressed me, uh, you know, that this agency, that they have all those people to from the field, that there's questions that come back um, in Washington, um, that they have people that can offer them, like, the most up-to-date research and what's going on and, and um, what's, you know, 
what the best practices are. And so I've really found that, that piece of it to be in, in our agency very interesting and sometimes very, very intimidating as well. So yeah, you're surrounded by a bunch of brainiacs. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's good to hear though, um, that you can draw on a lot of expertise and the, the well is pretty deep. So I want to talk to you about the collaboration that happens between Office of Civil Cooperation and DOD. You know, the office touts uh, using personnel exchanges, policy development, and training. I want to break those down a little bit and discuss each aspect. What are some current examples of personnel exchanges? I guess you'd mentioned the LNOs. Yeah, so, I, and I really think that's one of our strongest, one of, the, one of our strongest aspects of our office and um, is that we have, like I mentioned, our senior development advisors, our deputy development advisors, who reside at the combatant commands, um, and then uh, sometimes we have more military personnel, like in Afghan, we have someone also in our J-5, and then there are military LNOs that are, reside here. We also have um, folks that reside in the Pentagon, and the, really the, the point of, of this is that we make sure that our development objectives are aligned with um, DODs and, and vice versa, and making sure that our equities are are representative, you know, represented in those conversations. And what would you say are policies jointly developed and, or routinely shared between AID and DOD? I mentioned one of the policies already, the um, DODI 3000.05. I should also just mention, too, that USAID has a policy on cooperation with the Department of Defense. Um, and then there's other policies, too, that CMC has worked on. One has been um, a memorandum in the past about a year and a half now that it's been signed by our administrator, Mark Green, of Mission Civil Military Co- uh, Cooperation Officers. And so each of the missions, um, each of our missions, now has this new, what we're referring to as an MC2, that is the point of contact for the Department of Defense, for, you know, on those level, that level of engagement on the ground. So, um, and this is out. This is I should also caveat and say this is outside of the humanitarian assistance piece. So there's they have there's someone else also at the mission, um, the MDRO relief officer, the mission to disaster relief officer would handle disaster related things. But this individual, um, if you're if you have you want to collaborate and coordinate with USA on some sort of um, a MEGCAP, for example, or if there's uh, radio towers or something like that, this is the person that is the point of contact within that mission to really navigate through, through the mission and figure out who the best points of contact are. Okay. So I, I mentioned previously this kind of ties into the, the technical um, subject matter expertise that we have in, in the agency. And, you know, a lot of times we don't, you know, coming from my DOD, my military experience as a CA officer, we don't know who the best point of contact is. And it sometimes, you know, might not be the health person. It might be the program, a program officer. It might be a person in education or, or what have you based on what you're, you know, what you are interested in doing in right. your area of operations. So would that person be the conduit through which, uh, if the CA team was going to go in country, they, that should be one of the first visits is to meet with that coordinator to figure out who's who. Absolutely. So, you know, and the thing is, is, not only are they the first person, but you know the, the this individ, these individuals have been recognized at the combatant command level. So, you know, within Africom, um, we had uh, over forty individuals MC2s that were trained 
at AFRICOM and they're trained in military language and they understand the roles and responsibilities of the military. And it's really a, you know, a community of practice that it's, it's still a new initiative. Uh, it's, it's now becoming more well understand within our agency, the relevance and the importance of this, this person and to have these technical subject matter, you know, these technical skill sets with the military and, you know, being able to communicate with the military. Do you know how long those people would be at a mission? Is this a, a it, tour of duty of a short period, or they'd be there for a year or more? Most people are at missions for two or three years. Okay. So yeah, so they're they're much longer <laughs> than our six to nine months deployment. So, right. Um, That's and, good. So that person, if even if they're military, right, they could be in country and really get to know the culture and absolutely the structure. Yep, absolutely. Okay. So, and you know, and you have to consider too that um, these. Uh, individuals are they're dual hatted oftentimes, so it's like a picking up additional um, AOC for for most of these folks um, area of concentration. But uh, and, and it's still a, a new concept that we're trying to roll out. But it's it's not you know we understand it within USA, but I think the next step that we need to do is start communicating this with the DoD. So. In our training, when we're training for doing our mobilization type of ex- exercises, our validation exercises for pre-mobilization, in our doctrine, you know, like this is, this should be, you know, considered the point of contact for the military, for USA. And the, the as I mentioned, the, the folks, these folks are, have, um, it's like an, a, similar to like an AOC, but a lot of the folks, you know, already have like a backstop that's in democracy and governance or the already working counterviolent extremism. So they usually have overlap already with the DOD. Okay. Now they have the title and now that, now that they have, um, those are the backgrounds of the people who are in those jobs now. Generally. Yeah. It's not always a situation. I mean, sometimes like, you know, it might be a very small mission, but they have someone who's designated, but, but oftentimes, yeah, it is someone who's had some experience with the military already or, or has a you know that that um, background and or is already working those conflicts or security related issues in the country. Right. So. Do you know if the concept is to put one of those individuals in each of the missions? It is. Yeah. Oh, already. Yes. So, okay. Yep. So. Whoa. <laughs> That's really good to hear. So this is. I'm assuming this is the first time you've heard about this. It is. Yeah. 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 And I, I bet so. many of the people are the same. Uh, yeah. I mean. CA people who don't work at EAD, you know, yeah. probably don't hear about this until yeah. you know, if they haven't deployed recently, um, they wouldn't know. Yeah. So, but we, we keep a, a running roster of all these individuals. So, you know, um, so CA forces or, or planners could contact, uh, I guess, civil cooperation and get C- a list of points of contact. Yeah. CMC has, um, we have the, so if you're, um, getting ready to deploy or you're head, you know, you're headed out the door. That, that's something, you know, we update it on a regular basis. Um, now to keep in mind, like our missions are very busy and, you know, it's, it's really for the purposes of coordination on the ground. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. Do you have an idea for an upcoming podcast or know someone who may be a good person to interview? Contact us at capodcasting at gmail.com. Welcome back to the 1CA Podcast. Diana, let's talk about the training that AID offers to members of the military. You alluded to this before, and you mentioned um, what courses are going on and what contact may be involved. 
I attended one of the previous versions of, of a course in the military, and now I think it's evolved to become what's called dive. Is dive the, the main course that's offered to members of the military, or are there others, and could you describe them? Yeah, I'd be happy to, do, to talk about that. So um, most people actually have heard of the Jayhawk course. Um, have you taken it? Yes, Joint Humanitarian Operations. Yep. I, I, well, I've taken Jayhawk four times. Okay. <laughs> so I think I, I've taken it like two or three times to the military and one time with uh, under the AC for Health Affairs. So that is oftentimes the, the standard and what, the course that most people think of when they think of USA. Um, but you have to take into consideration that that's only one piece of USA. So and the number of disasters that USAID responds to, I'm talking about USAID OFTA, uh, is somewhere over 100 annually. The number of disasters that DOD responds to is engaged with um, at the request of USAID, because USAID is the lead federal agency, OFTA is the lead federal agency, is very small. And so with that, you know, that, that's our, our one course, but that is also just to, con- you know, to think about, put it in perspective, that's only one piece of what USAID does. Um, the other course, um, and there's, this is still something that we're trying to, we're currently trying to work on and it's a work in progress is the dive course. So you've taken that previously. Um, no, it doesn't mean anything about scuba. I think it's, but <laughs> you're not going to be scuba certified when you're done with it. <laughs> no, okay. um, it's called, it means development and vulnerable, vulnerable environments course. So, and it has changed a lot, um, over the last couple years since I've been here. Um, but the course is, is supposed to be more of like a USAID, I would put it a little bit like it's not USAID 101. Um, it goes a little bit into more, it goes into more detail than that. Um, but it, it's a course that um, touches on the different aspects of the agency. So what the difference is between humanitarian assistance and development, um, how uh, our, you know, how we're engaged with counting violent extremism, um, what the Office of Transition Initiatives and how, what they bring to the fight um, in terms of stabilization programming. You know, some, some instructors may, um, and, you know, it's tailorable, so it's based on requests and what the different um units that are asking for what they're interested but um you know some might be talking a little bit more about women's peace and security about how gender plays you know what kind of roles gender plays uh, monitoring evaluation so it can touch on a lot of different the different pieces of usa um depending the requests you know coming out of the unit right. so but that is also that's always the the course that you know, I, that I recommend in, in conjunction with the JHAC course, if a unit is requesting to have some USAID training, because it gives you a much broader picture of uh, USAID's um, activities and their programs and how we engage at the local level and, at, you know, at our missions. And, you know, because you might not be. You know, when you're in the field, a disaster response, you know, you might be right. engaging with a very different aspect of our organization. Do you know if there's a sequencing of the courses? Are units or individuals supposed to take the Jayhawk or the dive one before the other? No, um, I, I would actually recommend probably the dive first because, like I said, it gives you that much broader picture of our agency and how our agency is um, uh, different programs and what have you. Um, and then the Jayhawk um, kind of would, would narrow down 
what you're what you're learning. So we like we are in the, in the process of expanding this course to have like a two a three day course, like two days I think it might be continued with the Jayhawk, and then a, a day of dive and broader broad picture. And then I'm also having we're also having um, some conversations with OTI to see how they'd be interested in contributing to this you know the understanding of USAID there. Okay. It seems like uh, the dive would provide a, a good overview of a bunch of different offices. Jayhawks can go into more detail about the collaboration with Opta and across the spectrum of sort of pre comp you know, the phases of war, for example. Pre conflict, conflict, post conflict, rebuilding. There's something for everyone, I guess, when it comes to DOD and USAID. Yeah, I, I, and that's a, one thing that I definitely try to explain to the DOD audiences which, when, when I've taught the dive in the past is that USAID is involved in from phase zero through all phases of military operations. And so there's just different people and, you know, different parts of our organization, which you might have a greater likelihood of encountering and, and different, but, you know, we, we're definitely, uh, you know, from phase zero onward, we're, we're pretty much engaged. Diana, how would it work with an active duty CA or a reserve unit, uh, not located in the Washington DC area? to request a training for the courses, the Jayhawk course, the dive course, uh, and would those aid personnel travel to provide the training on site? Uh, yeah, we do. We do um, travel. Um, unfortunately, our office, the Office of Submilitary Cooperation, does not have funds to travel. So you can leave it up to your judgment as to how that usually ends up happening. <laughs> um, but I, you just contact the office, say what you're, you're looking for. The, one of the biggest issues is that like I, I mentioned in the beginning of this podcast that, you know, we really try to make sure that the conversation resonates and that it's meaningful and that we're, we're hitting the right, uh, the right audience with the right message at the right time, you know, and we get a lot of requests and it's like, Oh, can we have this training? And then it's like, but they don't, but we, the challenges that we have is that units don't, don't always do the best job about communicating, like, where are you deploying to? What's your actual mission? We can definitely tailor the training to, like, make something that's more valuable to, you know, your geographic area or what, you, what you're going to get involved with when you deploy um, based off of that, that initial information, the conversation. It sounds like you need more information to make to provide you need to know your target more audience. tailored right yeah so you need to know your, you know who the target audience is um but the requests do come through here and we we offer the training um we typically like to prioritize especially you know units that are about to get mobilized and and really the other thing too is i mean we offer this as terms in terms of our outreach and not not, not only is the training but for units that are Going abroad, we also offer for them to come down and have a conversation with the desk officers here in, in our regional bureaus and to find out what USA programming is going on, you know, if it's other aspects of USA, you know, what's, what's our priorities and, and things like that. Um, so even if a unit needed to come speak with you on the high side, could they do that in D.C.? Yeah, if they're interested in having, uh, you know, a conversation, you know, a and yeah, I mean, most of our programs you can learn a lot about USA just through our website, our country development cooperation strategies, which are similar to the integrated country strategy. 
that State Department has and are offered online. The majority of them are offered online. So you can see what our development objectives are in the countries that you're going to go work with. Um, so a lot of that stuff, you know, our programming, our funding levels, that's all public knowledge. So USA predominantly works in an unclassified environment, and that's because most of the people that USAID has a tendency to work with are are, are, are implementing partners on the ground. Right. And they're not at that level. I want to ask you about information sharing because from the CA perspective, the systems that CA personnel use don't always work so well with the development partners who may be yeah. in country. And so I'm wondering, it, it, so my unit has heard this from role players and folks uh, in, in pre-deployment type scenarios to say, well, when you're sharing information, you need to be careful about what you classify um, so they can be pulled out and analyzed and shared with partners through uh, uh, a CMOC, for example, mm-hmm. Self-Military Operations Center, right? So what's your perspective, since you live in both worlds, about the best approach? I would encourage that as well, um, declassifying are keeping um, information at a, a, the unclassified level to the this extent as possible is really, really effective for making sure you reach the, the widest audience um, possible. But, I, you know, I, the other thing I, I want to add about is, like, information is a two-way street, you know. And so I mentioned the MC2s previously, and if we want to engage with MC2s, you know, that's sharing information. And sometimes the military has more access on the ground than than does someone from USAID and they're the eyes and ears of actually what's happening. Yeah. And I think And a lot more people than AID than AID does have on the ground. Absolutely not always. Um but you know there's oftentimes restrictions that USAID people can't go as you know they don't have as for the for as far of a reach. Um they might have with their implementing partners. And oftentimes they have, and sometimes they have their implementing partners have a further reach than do, um, than, than does the DOD. But the communication needs to go both ways. And so, you know, if there's, if there's a sit rep that's being, uh, it, that's being provided by the civil affairs team that has, you know, information on the ground, I mean, that could be really beneficial, you know, to understanding, you know, the dynamics on the ground and, and um, the other thing, too, is, like, I would encourage and strongly encourage um, anyone from the DOD who goes out and requests trainings, units that go out and request trainings, requests USA to be part of joint exercises or what have you, that somewhere in that they circle back with the person after they've come back from a mobilization, and they, they, they tell them, like, hey, this worked well, this didn't work well, this was... Um, this is where the interagency, we, we get along really well. And, you know, it's like, that's, that's, I think a piece that the military community, uh, forgets a lot is like, well, we helped you to get to, you know, to, to, to best perform. Diana Parzik, thank you very much for being on the 1CA podcast. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for spending some time with us. Please subscribe and come back for another installment of 1CA. Until then, be safe and secure the victory.